All right, good evening, everybody, or good morning, everybody. And when I got up, it was dark, all right? We've been here a while. And just so appreciate everybody's help getting ready for the sunrise service and all. And um, he is risen. He is risen. Very good, all right. Um, my daughter just asked me, and I, I, for the sunrise service, normally we just kind of read over one of, the, one of the accounts of the resurrection, and she just loved it. And she says, you're going to do the same thing again. I said, well, it'll be about 10-minute teaching. And, and she goes, oh, man, I really like that. But um, So I went away between right after the sunrise service just to get back and get alone with the Lord a little bit and make sure. And boy, he just he really spoke to my heart. And I hope it's a blessing this morning. You get in this place of being a pastor, and people show up on Easter and Christmas and there are some expectations, right? And I'm very well aware of that, especially with guests visiting and family members. Like, oh, I hope he doesn't blow it in front of my family. That's never, you know? And so I'm very aware of that. Um, and so I get more nervous for these and for Christmas and the, the special ones than I do for the everyday ones. And so I was just praying, oh, God, just give me something. And I think he really did. Um, it, I hope you're blessed. And I, I, I even had a, got a little teary in my car while I was studying. And so pre- be prepared for that too today. Because um, it was so, well, it was so impactful to me. Um, here's what it is. We're, we're going to be in John. Um, and we're going to start in John 19, verse 38, and go on the way through to the end. Um, it is a chapter we normally choose. But there was something that struck me about this, and I'm not trying to find something new for new's sake, you know, just to be new. There's something that struck me about all these people that even after Jesus had promised a resurrection, um, that he was the Messiah, he was ushering in his kingdom, as far as they were concerned, most of them realized he's dead and none of those things are going to happen, is what they thought. But they continued with the embalming process, with the love, with all these things shown to him. And I could just um, really identify with that. Um, I grew up knowing that I was supposed to love Jesus, that I was supposed to be a Christian, and and was, you know, knew all about him. Um, But I always felt like I was just kind of missing something. Not, and I don't mean that like, and I needed to be born again, and I, I did. I just meant like, it looked like everybody around me understood something that I did not understand, but I kind of went along with it. Yes, yes, grace, mercy, all these things. And so I can't help but think that these people, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, Mary Magdalene, all these people that Jesus had touched, all the people that got baptized... All the people that went out from Jerusalem and went out to the Jordan, because this is it, this is the moment, here he comes. On the day that he died, must have thought, much like I did as I grew up, I must have missed something. I mean, I must have misunderstood him. It was figurative. Um, He was a great guy, you know, boy, he changed my life. Boy, he's wonderful. I'm sure going to miss that friend, that father figure, that husband that I never had, all the people that he touched in all the different ways, the guy that gave me sight, the the one that allowed me to hear for the first time. I want to miss him. I just must have misunderstood him when he said this was it. I mean, can you imagine the 
the letdown, but not wanting to put it on him like he was a liar or something, but putting it on yourself as I just, I just misunderstood. I must have, I just, it was figurative. It, he wasn't, it's was like not an actual kingdom. It was like a spiritual kingdom kind of thing and just trying to explain it away. So let me read here. Verse 38, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate, that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid, So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Now these two people, Joseph was a part of the the council. Nicodemus was, we know, one of the Pharisees. And they had both come to him at, at different times. We don't know much about Joseph, but we do know about Nicodemus at different times to speak to him about, I I hear what you're saying, but I don't get it. And Nicodemus did not understand it, but he knew it was his problem. I don't understand what you're saying. And so he came to him at night saying, I'm not willing to just let this go. I want to understand. I really want to know what you're trying to get across because it's, it's exactly why I became a Pharisee. I, I, getting closer to God is all I want. He was different from all the other Pharisees. The other Pharisees did nothing but sit in judgment. They all came out to the Jordan also, and they watched all these people getting baptized. But instead of accepting who Jesus was, they were trying to criticize and figure out, who is he? Is he really the one? They, they had some other questions they needed. They weren't willing to go into the river. They liked their position. They liked who they were. They liked the notoriety. They liked all the things that went along with the position of being a spiritual leader, but they didn't have the spirituality. They didn't know him. They didn't know God. But Nicodemus was different. I want to be different. I feel different. I don't feel right. I'm sitting around with the Sanhedrin, and I'm sitting around with the Pharisees uh, and the the Sadducees, and they're all saying things, and I'm just kind of feeling like that person who is not in the group, although I'm in the group. And I've grown up that way my whole life. Never quite being understood properly, I thought. People would say things to me after I'd say something. That's not what I meant. My whole life was like that. In school, I'd listen to the teacher and I'd give them the answer that I thought was perfect. And they'd be like, that's not what we're looking for. My whole life. I was that C minus student, you know, maybe a C on my good days. Just kind of getting it and nodding and playing with everybody and doing that, but always feeling just a little outside, you know. And I got to thinking, I'm, I'm probably not the only person that ever felt like that. In fact, I wonder if most people don't feel like that. And so I totally get why Joseph Nicodemus here spent a ton of money on buying 100 pounds of this stuff to embalm Jesus because this guy got me. He understood me. When I ask questions, he get right to the heart of the matter. He understood my question. I don't understand how I can get inside my mom again. How am I going to be born again? That doesn't even make sense. Nick, I know it's a dumb question, but Jesus and him had this moment. 
to where Nicodemus shows up when everybody else has forsaken him. This is going to ruin Nicodemus's reputation. He's never going back to the Pharisees and the Sadducees again. Never going to be a part of the Sanhedrin. I don't care. This is the only one in the entire universe that's ever understood me. I had a good study time. It's exactly how I feel about Jesus. He's the only one that's ever truly understood. The questions I asked aren't stupid. He doesn't look at me like, how many times do I have to tell you that? Have you never read or have you never? No. He always understands. He's always right. I can see why these guys go and bury him giving up everything, even though he didn't do what they kind of thought he said he was going to do, rise from the dead, that he's going to establish his kingdom. Well, that's not happening. I mean, the reality of it is he's, I mean, he's dead, dead. I mean, we've seen him raise other people up from the dead, but that's different. I don't know why it's different, but you know how it is in your mind? Well, that just must be different because now he's dead, so that can't happen again. And so they take this time to give up everything to make sure this man, who's the only man, and that's all they think he is right now, this man who understood me is honored. I'm going to honor him. They were willing to give up their lives and everything they had, even though he wasn't the Messiah or wasn't going to be king or wasn't establishing his throne or everything they thought he was going to do isn't going to happen anymore. They were willing to give up everything because of that, because of him. That's a personal relationship. I was looking at my notes, and my Bible looks like this for the most part. Little notes all throughout. Some chapters, you know, more marked up than others. And I'm looking at that and understanding this is my way of trying to read, grasp, and make it teachable because I want everybody to know what I know about Jesus. But that's the best I can do is to tell you from experience what Christ has done, but it is not the same as you knowing him personally, which you do, don't get me wrong. But it makes you reevaluate all that you do for Christ. It's because I'm constantly trying to tell people, you've got to meet this guy. I mean, you've got to meet him. And for most of you, you're like, I know I've met him. He is that. He's just awesome. You know, he's amazing. But trying to explain who he is with words, we use the word grace, right? Grace. And we all nod. Some, one of the August, August, Augustine, I think is how it's pronounced. One of the theologians says, I, I know what grace, grace means until you ask me. And then when you ask me, I don't know what grace means anymore. You ever feel like that? Oh, God's grace is so good. What is grace? It's, uh, how do you describe it? Well, it's God's riches at Christ's expense, $9.95. You could buy that plaque, you know, and that's true. It's unmerited favor, that's true. But all these are words, more words, trying to describe the word of grace, and yet it's so much more than that. It's feeling. I have forever taught, and I believe this, don't get me wrong, that we don't go by our feelings, we go by facts, we go by God's word, we trust God's word. And the only reason we say that is because a lot of times our feelings don't match God's word, and so in default we need to rest on God's word, not how we feel. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to feel his love, to feel his grace. I can describe to you 
all the things about Jenny, my wife, her hair color, her eye color, her mannerisms. I can even give you testimonies of what she's done, what she said, how she's blessed me and blessed others. And you could all say, I know Jenny, but you have never felt what I've felt from her. You've never experienced it, you know. This world, I will tell them till I'm blue in the face and till I'm dead of all the wonderful things he's done and how he feels towards them, but until they experience him and have a relationship with them, they'll never know what I know about grace. It's a feeling. It's an overwhelming, intangible, <laughs> wordless expression of God towards me, and I don't know how to tell people about it unless you've experienced it. So now I know what he means by you've got to be born again, Nicodemus. I can explain the mechanics of salvation to you. I can explain to you the steps of salvation to you. I can explain the order of God's word. I can do all that. But until you experience the grace, all I can do is give you God's riches at Christ's expense. It's unmerited favor. It's his love for you. It's his, but until you experience it and know it and have that feeling and understanding It's shallow, it's empty, and I believe much of the church is living in that way. They're living in, and they're not experiencing the grace of God. They know it doctrinally. They understand it scripturally. But from what I see and from what I read, many live in this legalistic relationship with this beautiful person. It was never meant to be like that. It was never meant to be, I'm married to Christ because the paper says so. We both signed it. It's always meant to be, I've fallen in love with the love of my life, and I've given my vow to him as he's given his vow to me. And I have sworn until the day we die, we're together. And I will never part from him as long as I, those are all things I say to express how I feel in our relationship that we have with each other. I don't have a relationship with Christ because of the paper, but because of that. Verse 1 now, the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now we know from other gospels, she went with other ladies, other women were with her. That in fact, when Joseph and Nicodemus had buried Jesus in the tomb, they were watching. These women were watching to see where he was laying, we know from the other Gospels. And they went and prepared spices as well. Although these guys have done a magnificent job, I'm sure, with 100 pounds, they went to go get more because it ain't enough. You know, those weren't my spices. But I need to bring mine, you know. And so these ladies have gone away and done what they're supposed to do. They found out where they put Jesus because they weren't sure where they were going to bury him. And they've gone and prepared the spices. And she goes to the tomb early in the morning. I can't wait. I've got to express my love to him. This is Mary Magdalene, the one whose seven demons was cast out of her. Can't even imagine what that was like, living with seven demons. I can't imagine one demon possessed inside of me. Never had that, thank goodness. But seven demons inside of her. Her whole life, she's been growing up with this 
torment and this anguish and this bondage, not doing what you want to do, doing what these demons want to do. And who knows how these demons used her? No idea. But we know that Mary Magdalene was always around Jesus, following him, making sure that he was taken care of as far as food, lodging, all these things, as long with many other women. That she was at the cross, that she was watching him be buried, that she's the first one at the tomb. Why? Now, the world perverts that. You've seen the accusations that maybe Jesus and Mary Magdalene had a thing. They don't understand this. They don't understand why this woman was so, they've never been demon-possessed. They've never been set free. They've never had someone understand. They've never had anybody with enough power to do anything about my problems before. They've never had anybody like that. And so for them, it's like, well, there must have been a thing because he's always around. No. She was madly in love with her Savior, the one who broke all the bondage, the one that freed her from all the demons, the one who was everything to her. When nobody else could do anything, he was the only one, of course. And he's not king now. And he's not risen from the dead. And all this doesn't matter. I'm going to get my spices. I'm going to embalm the only man that's ever understood me, you know. But he's not there. (laughs) He's not there. He's up. And she doesn't even know what to say. They've taken him away. She just cannot grasp the fact that he actually has risen from the dead. He's, he's gone. I don't know where he is. So he went and told Peter. And Peter, therefore, went out. And the other disciple, that's John, and we're going to the tomb. So they both ran together. And the other disciple, John, outran Peter. Thanks for letting us know, John. You were faster. And came to the tomb first. And he, stu- he, and he stooping down, he looked in and saw the linen clothes lying there. And yet... Did not go in, but then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tombs and he saw the, uh, into the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. And the way they were lying was in the, in the sense that I think the picture was very, it's very apropos. It's, it's, it's as if he vanished. They weren't, they, you know, whoa, gone. Yeah, just taken and alive. So he came and he looked inside and he sees it and he sees the, the handkerchief that had been around his head. So there's a separate piece around his head versus the, the, the part around his body, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple whom, who came to the tomb first, thank you, John, for letting us know again, went in, he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. How do you not know that? It's like almost all he talked about his last year of ministry, explaining to them, preparing them for what was about to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. And like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. I mean, it doesn't get any more clear than that. And yet, they missed it. They just didn't understand. The scriptures were closed to them. It was something that they hadn't believed yet. Maybe they didn't want to believe it. I don't know what it is that caused those scriptures not to land on good soil in their hearts to where they bore fruit. They just didn't believe it. They didn't understand. Then the disciples went away to their own homes. Now, they're not encouraged. They're not celebrating. They're not doing what we're doing this morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed, John. You know, they're not doing that. They're panicked. Someone stole the body. It's gone. 
But Mary, this is Mary Magdalene, stood outside by the tomb weeping. So she went with these two guys. And they all run away and say, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. She was, and she wept. She stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will, I will take him away. This little thing, you know. I'll take him. It took two men to bury Jesus, but she's going to do it. She went there not knowing how the stone was going to be rolled away, but she was going to go do it. Nothing was going to keep her from her love of her life, from her Savior, from someone who understood her. Where is he? I'll get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, teacher, you know, not Boyfriend, not husband, not guy in my life, but teacher. That's the respect. That's the relationship. She had that kind of love for her teacher, for her rabbi. And he said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascended to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to him from the other gospels that said that they did not believe her. He's gone. When I try to describe how I feel about Jesus, I use the same words over and over again, and it gets to be a little cliche. It just does. I think about maybe the guys that were blind. You wouldn't believe it. I met this guy. I was totally blind, me and my buddy, and we were just crying out. His name was Jesus, and we asked him to heal us, and he said if we had enough faith to be healed, we'd be healed, and no lie, my eyes were open and I was able to see. Now he told us not to tell anybody, but I got to tell. I got to tell everybody. There was this guy, his daughter had died. You wouldn't believe this. And these are the stories being told about him. And everybody's hearing these stories, you know. His daughter died and, and, and Jesus said, well, I'll go raise her from the dead. And we all kind of laughed, you know. Sure enough, he went into the room and out came this girl. And she's alive. It was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. It's amazing. Who, who did this? Jesus. He's from Nazareth. You know? Nazareth. I was just sitting there. And everybody was doing what they always do. They all hate me. Grabbing their taxes. Taking their money. Putting a little in my pocket like I do. Whole town hates me. He told me to follow him. And I did. I just got up and left my, I just left my job. I walked away from it, you know, and I followed him. <laughs> These guys caught me in bed with another guy. And they drug me out into the middle of the square. And they threw me down to the ground in front of this guy named Jesus. And they said, what, should they stone me or not? And Jesus started drawing in the dirt and they all started walking away. And then he looked at me and he told me that my sins were forgiven and to go and sin no more. Who? Jesus. You know, story after story after story. 
And everybody's hearing these stories saying, I want to see, who is this guy? I mean, it's not like one time thing. It's like time after time after time, he keeps coming up and he keeps, who is this guy? He must be, he might be, you know. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. They, they got it at this point. He's truly risen from the dead. To go from that place of, he gave me sight. He told me my sins were forgiven. He said he was going to rise from the dead. None of that happened like he thought it was going to happen. To the understanding that it did happen. That everything Jesus said was true. Not only the cool things that he did, the sight, the demon possession, the forgiveness of sins, the paralytic, the withered hand people, you know, several of them. But that he also said he was going to rise from the dead and he actually rose from the dead. To understand that was some of the songs that we sang, and we sing a lot of them, and I don't know that we listen to the words as, as much as we should. Maybe, maybe you do, and I'm the one that tunes out a lot of times, but I do sometimes. But if Christ rose from the dead, we're, we are the risen. All the things that Jesus ever promised us that haven't happened yet are going to happen you have never misunderstood him. He has never oversold himself to us. The fact that he rose from the dead and we celebrate that today is a celebration that you and I are also going to rise again. We can bank on it. We are absolutely going to heaven. He is absolutely preparing a place for us in heaven for us. He is going to come back and take us there. He has always promised this. We didn't misunderstand. We don't just love him because, well, he was a really great guy and he certainly has changed my life so far like these people do. We have a hope, not a hope like I hope it's true, but a hope that we're expectant and waiting for him to come back for us just like they should have been expecting him to come out of that tomb. He told them time and time again, I'm going to rise, I'm going to rise. I'd have been sitting, well, I, I say I would have been, sitting at that tomb is that a creak? Did you hear a creak? With my ear to the door, a rock. We have no excuse, and I hope you understand that this morning, that I don't know when he's coming back for us. It doesn't matter. The fact is, his promise to come back for me and for you to take me to heaven, if I die before that happens, doesn't matter. He's going to resurrect my body. He's going to raise me up. He's going to get me to heaven. He promised so, just like he promised he would rise from the dead. And I'm going to believe him. And I'm earnestly waiting for it. And I will look out at the sky every single day the rest of my life at those clouds and say, is this the day? Did the cloud, is there enough clouds? The Bible says there's going to be a lot of clouds. He's coming in the clouds. No clouds today. I don't know. You know, 
I'm going to be looking. I hope you're looking. I hope you're refreshed this morning and encouraged. You've been understood by Jesus like no one will ever understand you. You are loved by Jesus like no one will ever love you. You are forgiven. The grace that we talk about, the mercy, I hope you experience it and understand it with feeling as well as doctrine so that you know without a shadow of a doubt what he's done and what he's going to do for us. He's coming. Let's pray. We love you. We thank you so much for what you've done for us. We thank you for this Easter, for this resurrection day. No matter how we word it, we know you understand what we mean. There is no legal way to describe this day. We celebrate you, Jesus. We honor you. We thank you for your promise of coming back for us, that we're forgiven, that our sins are forgotten. Lord, help us to forget our sins too. You never expected us to have to remember all of our sins if you've forgotten them. Help us to leave them in the past and just keep walking with you, to walk forward, to move forward, to live for you, to walk in the spirit and this expectation, this earnest waiting for you to return. And help us to tell as many people about you as possible. You haven't given us those rules to not tell anybody like you did the guys that couldn't keep their mouth shut. Help us not to keep our mouth shut, God, for other reasons. Help us to share with everybody the testimony that we have in you, what you've done for us, how you love us, and how you love them. Lord, bless these folks as they go. I pray they have a wonderful day, and thank you for all you've done. I pray that you are blessed with our conversation, with our whatever plans we have the rest of the day. I pray that you're glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, enjoy this 80-degree weather on Easter. Are you kidding me?